listening to The Home Recording Show, hosted by Ryan Canestro and John Tidy. Find us online at homerecordingshow.com. Welcome back with us today, John Tidy at epicsounds.ca, reaperblog.net, and audiogeekzine.com. Hey, guys. And I am Ryan Canestro at ditchroadrecords.com. You can find us on Twitter, John at The Audio Geek, and me at Ryan Canestro. Emails are John or Ryan at homerecordingshow.com. If you're shopping on Amazon, please click through our link. They'll break off a piece and send it our way. Click on the tip jar for one-time or reoccurring monthly donations. Archives tabs near the top of our page. Check out every show we've done. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash homerecordingshow. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review. Let's get into the show, which is the comments section. <laughs> Ask HRS number four. Hell yeah. Michael from Austria writes in, Hello, my lovely HRS guys. My name is Michael. I am from Austria, the one without kangaroos. <laughs> and I consider myself a longtime listener of your show by now. Actually, your show is the only thing I listen to in my car, except for the occasional mixes I do here and there. I was hoping that in your $15 coffee hype, you could possibly find the time to help me with a problem I have with one of my guitar amps. It's a Fender Frontman R212 combo. Don't judge. It's a cheap solid state amp, but it was my first amp and it was totally fine for that purpose. The problem with the amp is pretty usual. At least I think so. I don't find any useful information on the interwebs and I'm not DIY enough to come up with a solution myself. Also, I'm not very good with electronics. Oh, and originally I'm a drummer, so I'm not even a real musician. <laughs> I also disassembled the amp, but couldn't find anything obviously broken in it. The problem with the amp expresses itself like this. I first noticed that every time it gets powered, it would make a loud tone for half a second or second-ish. It's not really just noise or a hum. It's almost like a tone you get from a tone generator, even somewhat like a sine wave. I'm actually really bad at describing the problem, but I hope you get the idea. Either way, it's not really buzzy or hummy or anything. It's just a weird tone. A week ago, I noticed that this tone is permanent and there's no guitar cable plugged into one of the two inputs on the amp. If I plug in a cable in either of the inputs, the tone goes away. The tone appears during powering on of the amp regardless of if there's a cable plugged in or not. If there's no cable plugged in, it just doesn't go away. I hope that description wasn't too long or too confusing. And if you have any further questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. I would really appreciate your help and input. I'm somewhat stuck with this problem, and I have a feeling you guys, especially you, Ryan, Mr. DIY, the almighty master of guitar nerdery, have way more experience and knowledge in this area. And then uh, I did answer it. Yeah, this was an email that came in, and, and you replied to it, and I just... Figured it should go in the show. I will read what my reply was. Thanks for listening and enjoying the show. We certainly also appreciate the donation. The amp is not the greatest, and unless it has sentimental value, not worth sending off to a professional. Without getting more heavily into electronics, it will very likely not be a simple fix. Troubleshooting a circuit is much harder than building one from the ground up. Make sure all the grounding is solid in the circuit first. My second guess would be an electrolytic capacitor shitting out on you. You can start replacing them, but that may be a rabbit hole that goes deep. Also, they can electrocute you even with the, when the amp is turned off. Be careful. Uh, truly, it can be a great many factors. I wish I had a better answer for you. Good luck. Let us know what you end up doing and how that worked out for you. Um, and it, it does sound like some kind of capacitor issue. Maybe a capacitor is kind of on the way out and it's, it's grounding itself or it's 
It's doing weird things in there. That'd be my main guess, especially probably one of the bigger electrolytics. And uh, those are the ones that can definitely kill you, uh, yeah. even if the app's been turned off for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have any uh, input on this one. So let's just do like another 26 minutes on it and then we'll move on. <laughs> You want to read the next one? Yeah, I'll go to the next one. So Scott wrote into show 236 regarding Michael Adams' segment. Love the segments like the opening one in this episode. If you guys are short on time for getting together to record, maybe you could just compile a few of these and release them as an episode. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing that's a great idea. Anyone who's ever wanted to send in segments, feel free. Uh, I've been so busy with work and I've got more stuff coming up right now. So uh, everyone sends stuff in. And then uh, I'll be off the hook for not releasing episodes as often as I should be. <laughs> yep. And then it's all on me to get the man of time. Perfect. I do like uh, commenting on them, especially if we can have the person that did the segment talk about it yeah. with us. Sometimes that's totally redundant and everything's totally covered in there. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and then sometimes there's a lot of questions. So it really depends. Uh, we'll go case by case on that. Yeah. Nelson wrote in to show 237. Please, please, please do not stop this show. There are only two things I need on a regular basis. Game of Thrones and the home recording show. As soon as I get a job, I will donate before I reinstall my cable. Thanks. Um, funny little tangent. I just worked with one of the actors from Game of Thrones on uh, on set. So, uh, and then, of course, I had episode uh, the first disc of Game of Thrones. hadn't watched it. Worked with a guy, and now I'm watching it. So I'm through season two now. So now I know exactly who it is. But the uh, the character um, uh, John Snow, um, and uh, the guy was really cool. So I did some voiceover stuff. Recorded him doing lines for a new movie coming up. Um, on uh, actually, I think the thing we did was for ESPN on the set of a movie he's doing with Andy Samberg. It's a tennis movie. Uh, Kit Harrington is that yeah. his name? Yeah. yeah, he was super cool. Yeah, that and, guy is um, super cool. And then um, so I got to hang out with him for an hour, and then I went down, and Andy Samberg walked right up when I was standing there with the the sound guy on that on the actual set, and uh, he came right up and said, "Hey, how you doing?" And then um, Howie mean, Mandel hey, was there too. How you doing? <laughs> No, he was yeah, just totally no. like a normal no, guy totally walking normal. up. Yeah. He's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, hey. No, I doing? actually do like his uh, his cop show. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I heard it's funny. The fuck is that called? Uh, 51. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know there's numbers involved. Yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's, it's like a stupid sitcom, but it, I don't know. It's kind of funny. And uh, the thing that they're doing, it's it's like a tennis thing where Kit Harrington and Andy Samberg are the two characters battling out their, their rivals in the tennis. And it's the whole tennis world. And it, it looked like it was really funny. So that'll be coming on HBO soon. Um, and to answer your question, we're, we're not going to stop the show. We're still going to try to do it as much as possible. Uh, my schedule has just gone apeshit. And uh, Double-Edged Sword, uh, doing well with work, but now I'm not being able to do anything else in my life. It's so, hard to keep a balance, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, my wife was just angry at me earlier because I haven't been doing enough stuff around the house. So um, today I'm trying to catch up on doing that and the podcast. And uh, it's all going really well. <laughs> the balancing act from hell. Yeah. The ginger spelled backwards wrote into show 236. GSAA. I liked the breakdown. The song works really, really well. The only thing I couldn't figure out is the pulse in the drums at the beginning 
uh, was it my playback or something in the mix? The interview was great too. In another lifetime, when I have some free time, I'm going to get to go north of the border and going to get some coffee. By the way, I guess whoever is keeping tally, that's Team John plus one. What? And we haven't been keeping score no. of that for a long time. Yeah, it would be like five to four, and I don't know who would be winning. No, it's it's got to be like 50 to four, honestly. <laughs> I mean, how many interviews and stuff have I done on my own now? He says, I don't always ride the chicken, but when I do, I drink premium coffee. And all these coffee references are uh, regarding Sydney's studio. Oh, yes. And I, uh, and I had some of his coffee when I was in Toronto. And it was pretty good, except he didn't have cream. So it wasn't quite right. I had like vanilla soy or something like that. Real men drink their coffee black. Let's let's just be honest. Oh, and it was so hot that day too. It it was like brutally hot in Toronto that day. And I was out for like walking for like six hours before I got to the studio. And nothing more refreshing (laughs) than a hot cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. His studio is really, really cool. Uh, It sounds great. Tons of really cool gear. And it was larger than... I was expecting, and um, we didn't talk about the colors of the paint and stuff like that, but it's actually, like, it looks bigger. It doesn't feel like a small studio or anything. It feels comfortable. It's it's not all black. It it's Everything's, like, kind of gray or tannish or something, and it just, sound, it just feels really warm and relaxing but not tiring, like, just creative space. Nice. Compared to my studio, which... It's all black and it always makes me tired. (laughs) Some days it makes me really tired. Yeah, it could be life too. Could be. James writes in a reference to show 237. Best line of the show. Actually, it's more mental imagery. Ryan, who lives in California, looking online for people making high quality pot. Giggity. (laughs) And that might have been talking about potentiometers, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was. Okay. Definitely do the awful rhythm guitar sound segment. It's triple last month's donation, zero, for that kind of awesome sauce. Lastly, I firmly support Ryan's location sound, sound for picture segments. I'm probably the sole listener who gets in on that, but I do. Also, I'd love a breakdown of the ultra high dollar motion picture sound consoles that mix our favorite movies and or TV shows. You guys are awesome. Yeah, I'll have to get into doing a little more of that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of really interesting stuff on set and playing with different microphones and boundary microphones and doing all kinds of stupid stuff no one does on set. And some people really dig it and some people think I'm annoying. But um, (laughs) (laughs) got to keep myself interested in some of those long days. And uh, maybe after one of those long days, you'll be interested enough to talk about it for another couple hours. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, the problem is uh, my standard day now is 12 hours on set. And then I usually have to drive a minimum of one hour each way, sometimes more. So after 14 hours, I, I don't really feel like coming home and talking about anything. All right. So um, we don't normally do replies, but uh, this one was fairly interesting. Uh, Michael Reisenhuss, in regard to James's last comment, I second a bit about the awful rhythm guitar. Actually, since it was my suggestion in the first place, maybe I first it instead, making these two first sentences redundant. Well played. Anyway, to address some of the things he mentioned about this, All guitar tones work in some contexts and styles. I suggest keeping it simple and go for what you would do for the main guitar for a straight-up rock tune. No pussy rock either. I don't know how to dial in a crappy tone. This is where I excel, so if you need help, uh, 
Oh, yeah. I guess you said, I don't know how to dial in a crappy tone in, when it was first mentioned. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Michael says this is where he excels. I was confused myself, so that's why I'm explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my thoughts were mostly related to the settings on the amp itself. I know that's only part of the story, but mic placement, etc., has been covered before, which I don't think amp settings have been. Suggestions? Too much gain, too little gain, too much bass, mid, or treble, or possibly presence. Too little bass, mid, or treble, and maybe common combinations of too little, too much, bass, treble, etc. And too low master volume, and too high master volume, if that's a thing. Or just examples of the point at which a preamp gain gets too high in relation to the master volume. And then comment on what sounds good, what sucks, and why. Maybe if you think a specific place where one of the crappy tones would fit in, you can mention that as well. You must have experienced bands coming in with rhythm guitar tone that just sucks balls just a little. <laughs> Take some inspiration from that. Let's just read Crate Amp right there. Yeah, or most Line 6 Amps as well. Mm. I've not heard anything like this on any other podcast or been able to find it anywhere on the internet. I think the setup would be good primer on guitar tones without too many variables to muddy the picture. If you lack a segment idea in the future, you could go to the next link in the chain, go to Mismatching Caps, 8-inch speakers for death metal, anyone? Or the previous link, Strat for death metal, anyone? So you get that one for free. Next time it's going to cost you. Yeah, so uh, tutorials on like crappy guitar tones, I don't think that's really been covered before anywhere. But there's people that have been talking about good guitar tones and ended up at crappy guitar tones. <laughs> that happens a lot on YouTube. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the thing mainly is context. What is around that tone? Because sometimes taking a mic and just micing the room on a guitar cabinet, normally not the thing you do. And in some mixes, it would sound absolutely perfect. Um, like Queens of the Stone Age did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, or having, uh, like rolling the tone off on your guitar and having that real kind of muddy sound, in some context, that sounds perfect. So I have a good example, actually. Okay. Tell me. I hope everyone watches Creative Live when they do the free uh, workshops. Um, usually, like once a week, there's some recording or mixing or mastering sort of uh, topic, and it's a live all day event, and you can watch it streaming for free. So, there was one recently with Steve Evitz, and he was with the guitarist from Dillinger Escape Plan. And their music and their guitar tones and everything are just all over the place, very technical and from section to section, it's a completely different tone. They commit everything, but they still layer a lot of things as well, like a heavy sound for the main guitar, and then they'll back it up with something that's really mid-rangey. And then they might actually have the DI that's um, just clipped or um, heavily compressed, and they'll blend in those things. And uh, just in the faders, you can really change the tone get more clarity by bumping up the DI. You don't often see the DI without effects on it, like without an amp on it in a mix. So especially for a basically speed metal sort of uh, guitar yeah, tones. Yeah, because on its own, it's horrible, but there is a lot of usable tone and texture in there. Yeah, and it's just for attack, and it works really well, and it just jumps in and out in different places where it needs clarity. 
it's not something that I would ever think of doing. It's more about mixing at that point too. It's not about Well, it's also production. So having these options available, knowing that you're going to need these things as you're recording and not trying to fake it later, not trying to fix things. Um, a lot of people think production can be done in the mix and it can't. That's called post-production and post means after. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work like that. So where were we? On the next comment, Dan Mann commented on show 235. Boz's plugins are outstanding, and I'd recommend any HRS listener out there to try out some of the demos. While they may not sound super flashy, I gotta say that they've become a game changer for me. I use the Sasquatch kick machine on probably 80% of my kicks and toms in every mix. The Mongoose plug makes a mix sound better by simply applying without changing a thing. The plugins I have, which is most of them, are all very easy to use, affordable, and best of all, do a very good job. That's not what you wrote at all. Do a job very well. <laughs> like many HRS listeners who are waiting for a diploma, not looking at you, Ryan, I was persuaded to purchase Valhalla Room, and I love it. Without pushing the point, HRS listeners should put Boz's plugs in the same category or wonderfully effective, useful, and great-sounding plugs by independent developers. Keep up the great show or the substandard show, depending on if you are the shredder or not. Cheers, boys. I think this show is going fairly well so far. Well, because we have opinions, it's substandard. <laughs> if we were just here to state the facts, then, you know. Sven left a comment on Ask HRS number three. Hey guys, still a big fan down here in Colorado. And I've got a little Ask HRS for you guys for number four. I recently did some recording for my band, and really busted my butt to get it as good as I could. By the time I was done, I'd been cross-referencing on monitors, laptop speakers, headphones, my surround system, and my car, and the mixes translated across all of them. When I was done, I was happy. Then I went out and upgraded my M-Audio BX5D2 monitors to some Yamaha H5S, and playing those tracks on the monitors, it all seemed to fall apart. I still like the songs in my car, on my headphones, and even in my iPhone speaker, but on the new monitors, it sounds like a drunk, deaf monkey mixed them. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this information? If anyone wants to listen and tell me exactly why I am, in fact, a drunk, deaf monkey, here's the link. And uh, ReverbNation.com slash DyingBlind with a Y. Yeah. I did listen to this a while back, right when the, f the comment came in. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there are some issues with the mix, but, you know... It's one of the challenges of mixing your own stuff as well. So you wrote the songs, you recorded them, you mix them for probably weeks. Every time you throw in a different variable like new monitors or new room, uh, all that kind of stuff, you hear different things. And uh, the Yamaha monitors are definitely not flat. And not flattering. No, they're not flattering. Um, there's a huge difference in sound between my Focals and my Yamahas, and I like them both. Toggling between the two, it's shocking. Like I'm, I, I keep thinking my Yamahas are broken, but <laughs> if I leave them on for 30 more seconds, it makes sense. It's it's hard to it's very hard to jump between the two. The Yamahas are basically supposed to be horrible, and if you can make something sound good on them, it'll sound good anywhere. And that's the point of the Yamaha speakers. It, there's there's definitely something to the mid-range that 
really stands out on them. Certain things jump out, but they're not very flattering. They can sound punchy. They You can make mixes sound good on them, and they might be totally different when you switch to the M-Audio speakers. M-Audio speakers are a little too uh, soft in the mid-range, I guess. Too flattering, maybe. And uh, the highs on the Yamahas are are kind of harsh, especially compared to Focal. You know, totally different price range. Oh, yeah. Nathan Rice comments on our Ryan Bruce interview, show 239. I was familiar with Ryan Bruce on YouTube, but I seriously had no idea how big he was. For some reason, I never check how many followers a person has on YouTube because for me, it's just irrelevant. It's the content they put out that I pay attention to the most. Is it just me or does he sound like the nicest guy in the world and wish he was my best friend? Also, I refuse to ever read YouTube comments because people are so incredibly fucking cruel, harsh, and moronic. John and Ryan, I hope you guys could maybe let Ryan Bruce do some more episodes on the podcast. I can never express enough how much I love this podcast. Ryan is so busy with his work and raising a family, but he still tries his best to make it on the episodes. And for that, I'm seriously forever grateful. I sometimes wonder if John has ever raised his voice or screamed at somebody. If he ever met me, we are so polar opposites, he would probably want to rip out my vocal cords. <laughs> well, we should all get together. <laughs> See what happens. Yep. But yeah, thanks for that. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, anyone out there that's working 60 to 80 hour weeks and has a family of four and, and we're doing a remodel and uh, just finishing up my dad's estate. So uh, just nonstop things coming at me all the time. So uh, I, I should be getting one thing off my desk as of today, uh, the whole estate stuff. So uh, that's good. And uh, the remodel, um, that's, I think that's going to continue for the rest of my natural born life. Um, and then uh, we'll see how the rest of it plays out. <laughs> Michael Reisenhaus replied to Nathan, my perception, John is unlikely to scream at anybody. He could, however, sarcasm somebody to death if he felt the need. And I wonder what that looks like when you sarcasm <laughs> It's funny because I used to be incredibly patient and then I, I had kids and now I have no patience less. And I have to <laughs> scream regularly. I totally lost it the other day. It was it was crazy. I not proud of it, but Yeah, kids will bring that out of you easily. Yeah. You can only say the same thing fifty times in a row before you just snap on fifty one. Exactly. And like, it used to be like that. I'll say it 50 times, you know, don't climb that, don't climb that, don't climb that, don't climb that. You know, say it every different inflection you can, and then, and then she'll still fall. <laughs> Scream Guitar comments on the Ryan Bruce interview. I'm a little dismayed, well disgusted by this podcast. You guys have always been professional, in my humble opinion. Uh, you have always given great advice. Your shows lately just suck and are uninteresting. Not nearly as good as they used to be. But whatever, it's your show. Rock on. But what bothered me was that you took a guitar hack, basically nothing but a YouTube reviewer sales guy, and gave him a forum to bash John Petrucci. I don't care if you like Petrucci or not, but to say that he isn't all that he's cracked up to be is just straight up uneducated and offensive. JP is a major success in our world. He has successful albums, tours, gear, and by far one of the best guitars I've ever owned or played. 
for a hack of a guitar player to bash him on a national forum did not raise your show to any professional level. It was wrong. I ask you this. If someone asked you if you liked Paganini's fifth Caprice or any other older classical violin shred music, most, if not all people, would say yes. If you ask that about a guitar player, oh well, shred sucks, uh, said by most people who haven't the talent or understanding to play it. I agree the buzzsaw shred stuff is old and boring and lame, but JP is not just a shred guy and is just uneducated at best to lump him into a YouTube shred loser category. Really disappointed, guys. Pick better guest. The people that go to see this hack are not there to see him. They are there to see his gear. Lame. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just an opinion. and uh, It's okay not to like a certain band, whether they're no, talented or not. No, you can, it's not. You don't have to like them. And you don't have to hate certain bands either. You do, if you want to be if cool. If it's Coldplay. No, of course. Everyone hates Coldplay, and somehow they're still famous. Why does anyone like and you too? I'm not sure. Send your really hate mail know. to Ryan at homerecordingshow.com. I, I think some classical music sucks. And I think some classical music's good. And I think some music, some rock music sucks. And I think some of it's good. And what I think is good, John thinks sucks. And what John <laughs> thinks is good, I think sucks. And uh, that's just the way it goes. It's just personal preference. It's just music. You don't have to yeah. like everything. There, that's why there's so much of it. And there's a lot of options. Um, we certainly don't have uh, any um, ill will towards anybody. And we're not trying to ruin uh, John Petrucci's name. Uh, by any means. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't even on that show, so I don't even know why I'm doing all the talking here. But yeah. um, uh, we just don't care um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> we don't get a lot of complaints on the show. and Everyone has it's opinions. Funny. And it's just that. And This uh, one just made me laugh because it's like, you don't have to stick up for John Petrucci at all. Yeah, he's doing just fine. Yeah. His bank account's sticking up for him. Oh, and Ryan did say that his new guitar is the ugliest thing he's ever seen. <laughs> and I agree with that. That new John Petrucci model signature series guitar is an abomination. <laughs> Look it up, Ryan. I'm looking it up right now. There's a blue one and a red one. And it's got this like uh, arrowhead shape black section in the middle. It's just ugly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't play that. The thing for me, um, Fender and Les Paul, um, they had it right then. It's changed almost zero since, and everyone's trying to find the next new thing. Uh, we're talking about the 50s, and no one's topped it. Yeah. I'd still really like to try playing a PRS. I've never played one. Yet. Oh, they play amazing. Yeah, I, I think... Great guitars. I think if I'm going to get a guitar, skip... A cheap guitar maybe get one of them yeah and i think uh Pichucci is the kind of player where he will have very dedicated fans but it's certainly not for everyone so I, I would say most people wouldn't really get it understand it or care about it but the people that do uh it goes straight to the core of their brain yeah so i think there's some of that going on yeah i'm open to listening to some dream theater someone send me the best dream theater song ever I will listen to it and give you my opinion on it. I'll have the same thing like with Rush. There's a few songs I really like, but then the rest of it, I, it's just almost unlistenable to me. 
You can listen to it because so, it's a good song. All Rush songs sound very dated to me. Do you agree? I don't know. I think I, I think Tom Sawyer still sounds fresh and, and really interesting. And there's there's probably like five songs of Rush I really enjoy. Same thing with Billy Joel. There's like five songs I really enjoy, um, even Hall & Oates for that matter. But then the rest of it just, just I want to scratch my eyes out. Yeah. Same with Wham. So, Let's move yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't talk shit about Wham. Yours is next. All right. Ash commented on show 239. This one's for John. So you went to Focals and crushed my dreams that HS50s were all I need. I've had mine since 2005 and they've been great. I recently scored an Apogee Quartet and was looking to add a set of Focal CMS 40s and a single baritone. Good idea. I have a small setup in my bedroom, so the four inch Focals are both cheap and suited better to my room size. As for your Focals, is it worth the step to sweetness from that mid-forward HS50 sound? How has it changed your mix flow? Are you still referencing the HS50s? Will you integrate your HS sub with the vocals? Sorry for the barrage. Thanks for the excellent Ask HRS shows and recent interviews. I feel like we covered this already in some of the show, because you do use both, and you do switch back and forth to reference. I don't think I've had a chance to talk about it, really. It's been a long time since I've got those monitors now, but I just got the monitor controller yesterday. So uh-huh. so when I got the Focals, I basically didn't use the Yamahas really anymore. Um, I've changed the setup a bunch of times over the past couple of months. So I had the sub connected with the Focals, and I changed it to the sub connected with the Yamahas, and then the Yamahas were on uh, coming direct out of my interface on output three and four. And then my uh, focals were running through the uh, TC electronic level pilot. So I could have them going to the same outputs uh, with my software control panel and just use different volume controls. Um, but it was kind of awkward and I couldn't share the sub. Um, I ordered the Personas uh, monitor station version two, shipped from Amazon via Ryan. And it just arrived yesterday. Was yeah, it, that always takes forever if you ship through me. Uh, I think it was two days ago. Okay. It's actually excellent. Um, it has different modes on it. So you can set up... Um, so basically, I've I've got the mode so that I can toggle speakers A and B. Uh, a is my Focals. B is my Yamaha. And then C is always on. Um, income, and so the music comes in through this and then goes out to the sub and either one of those speakers. And I've level balanced them, so it's very easy to toggle. This monitor station has a SPDIF input. And I compared the SPDIF input to the TRS line-ins, and it's identical in sound. Uh, It's 3 dB quieter through uh, SPDIF. So that's fine with me. Yeah, and just really super useful. They sound a lot different, and I haven't had a good way of a being them until basically today. I can't say how it's changed my mix workflow because I've basically been using one or the other. Oh, maybe you should do like a little halfy segment on it after you get a chance to uh, get a feel for it and let us know uh, how it all breaks down. Yeah, I kind of want to post a video just like playing something through each one and then just toggling the two because there's a totally different... Uh, Totally different tone change when you switch between the two speakers, which makes sense because they're totally different speakers, but it's drastic. And 
sometimes confusing. <laughs> so, oh yeah, and was his setup a good idea? Sure, I like CMS fifties. Uh, they sound a lot bigger than HS fifties, even without a sub. I don't know about the CMS forties. I know that the CMS fifties sound very good, and uh, my mixes translate well to both of them, uh, both the HS fifties and the CMS fifties. Fumble Fingers comments on show two thirty nine. Late to the party here. I have crossed paths occasionally with John on the recording review forum, but for some reason never came across HRS until about six months ago. Uh, so that means John's doing a horrible job of advertising the show. Nevertheless, I have duly listened to all the episodes in that time. Ryan kept telling me to, after all. Top job, gentlemen. I didn't think I was going to enjoy the last episode as much as I did, but Ryan and John's conversation was much wider ranging than just heavy guitar tones. I was particularly impressed with John's comments about amp sims being designed to work in the context of a recording rather than to replicate a real guitar amp. This is the very same epiphany I came to a while ago, and it has revolutionized my approach to recording and mixing. As a recent Reaper refugee, I enjoy the discussion about Reaper too. I just finished my first paying mix with it after many years with Sonar, and I couldn't be happier. Even with a monster computer, CPU consumption, and efficient coding become very important when your mixes are starting to push 60 or 70 tracks, multiple subgroups and buses, and most of all, multiple plugins, console, and tape emulation. At that point, the differences between Sonar X3 and Reaper are night and day. About the only thing I really miss about Sonar is the ability to run Melodyne via ARA integration. So a big thanks for talking up Reaper. Oh, and my contribution to Guitar Face, may I present Gary Moore, one of my all-time favorite guitarists, too. And there's a link here to a YouTube video if you want to see some Guitar Face. Yeah, uh, Reaper's efficiency is definitely a big factor in why I use it. Especially when you get into track counts like that. Yeah, I've got a, a project that is 19 songs with about 60 tracks total. Wow. And it does occasionally crash, but not as it much should. as you would expect. Well, Pro Tools would just you know implode your computer. There would just be a little miniature black hole. Yeah, so it's a 20 gigabyte uh, audio files folder with no extra files in it. So, yeah. Um, the actual project file is, let's see, one and a half megabytes. Gotta love that. I'm going to try a 64-bit version of Reaper soon. I think most of my plugins are 64-bit now, so uh, we'll see if that gets even better, because it should be. Um, usually it's, it's, I'll get a crash when it's very low on memory. I'm just, I've got 12 gigs of RAM available. It can only use like you know, two and a half before it gets unstable. Cool. Uh, we had Lucas write a comment asking to talk about the new Focals in the next show. I think we covered the shit out of that. Yeah, they sound very nice. So why don't you read the next one from Michael Reisenhuss? Michael Reisenhuss on show 237. John, I remember you saying some time ago that what really made a difference in your listening environment was your second set of acoustic treatment. Could you explain what you had before and what you added the second time around and what difference you heard? I've just treated my room with first reflection panels and four two feet by four feet bass traps. And needless to say, I'm disappointed with the result. I may have been too naive with regard to amount of traps. That's probably what I started with. One bale of 
of uh, fiberglass made into panels. Did you use rock wool or fiberglass? It was fiberglass. Okay. So my first set, we're, we're talking about 2007. I heard a difference. It was going from a, a large apartment living room, basically, and having no treatment in there. It's just concrete walls that have been painted. It's very, very reflective. About as reflective as a room gets. Yeah, pretty much. So just $60 invested in fiberglass made a noticeable difference. Another 60 made that much better. And then I kept that amount of treatment for the next two studios. So you just did all panels. You didn't do base traps or anything. No, they were, they were all two feet by four foot broadband panels, two inches thick. So, so I had uh, 12. I think you need about that much. What is that? Two feet by four feet, 96 square feet. They come in two foot by four foot bats. And I think you can get six of them at a time in a pack. Yeah. The rigid fiberglass. And, and I, I believe it was around 150, 200 per six. Does that sound about right? Per six? I don't remember. Oh, no, it was 80 bucks per six. Okay. Something like that. The brand I got back then, it was it was about $60, maybe 65 for the bale. Okay. If and then I got some wood, and, 80, then, and, and then the right. fabric was another, I don't know, 20 or something. It was like half price day or something. You got some wood, you say? The wood frame was, was made out of uh, plywood. Like, I think it was half-inch plywood, just cut into two-inch mm-hmm. strips. And that ended up being like the cheapest option. If you have a table saw, of course. Yeah. I just bought one by threes and uh, used a, a Brad shooter, hooked up to an air compressor to s- shoot it all together. Yeah. That'd be quick. Yep. Yeah. Definitely have an electric staple gun to wrap the panels. Oh, uh, yeah. Because a manual one, you're you're going to regret. I did it with a manual one <laughs> and I, I still regret it. And yeah. that was years ago. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was, I think it was $20 to get the cheap electric stable gun that I still have and I still use all the time. Yeah. It's awesome. So that was 96 square feet. And I think you need at least that much before the improvement really affects your mixes. And then after that, I got um, eight diffusers and I changed my sidewall uh, traps to diffusion. And in a narrow room like I was in, it didn't sound dead. I wasn't. Lo- the highs weren't being absorbed the second, the millisecond they came out of the speakers. So having diffusion there, I got rid of the flutter echo. That was the main problem with with no treatment on the sidewalls, and uh, I didn't lose the highs. And then you did a cloud, right? The cloud was was part of the original okay. twelve panels. Cool. I think that covers it. Pete comments on show number sixty. Ryan, I'm not sure what show it was now. But you mentioned that if you were going to get another 1073 clone, it might not be a pre-73. What would your top contenders be now? Um, there's a lot of them I've looked at. Um, so many great ones. Seventh Circle Audio were fantastic. Uh, probably the best bang for the buck, especially if you want to get a bunch of them. Um, the other one I would like to get is the Great River. Um, those ones are pretty nice too. And then there, there are probably about 10 kits out there I wouldn't mind getting either. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of depends on what format you want because the seventh circle is its own format. Yep. And then there's so many 500 series ones and there's the BAE and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Great nice River too. and Great River is is a one space rack, I think. I yep, think they, get... they probably have a 500 series as well. So it kind of depends on, like you're not just buying the preamp, you have to buy into the system. You have to buy the 
power supply and everything. When you get into the 500 series stuff, um, it's not the same voltage as the original design. Uh, 500 series is a lower voltage than the original design is asking for. So you can even lose some headroom on that. So, so what about the pre-73? I mean, that's that's like a wall wart transformer. It's not a high-powered yeah. device. It's, it still sounds fantastic for yeah, a $300 I mean, I think, preamp. I think you're still getting 16 volts um, AC. Okay. Or it, it converts to DC, but uh, I think you're still getting 16 volts DC. Uh, I, I don't know. It's There's so many things out there, and how close the original do you have to be? As do you even you have, care if it's close to the original, or do you just care if it's convenient, or if it's it's convenient and sounds good, or whatever? I just want it to sound great, and I want the original specs on the Transformers. That would be the most important thing to me. Components, less of an issue, but I do want a high-quality power supply, and I really would like the correct voltages for the design. Okay. In a perfect world. So there well, are a higher lot of things voltage I'm looking at. for more headroom. Yeah, why not? Let's just uh, let's fire it up with a bolt of lightning and see what we get. Yeah, the pre seventy three is it's a great preamp. I really should have bought that when I first met you because you had that like before you met me. Yeah, I had that pretty early on, and it's it's still going strong. I use it constantly. Um, I'd like to have a better version of it, but at this point, what am I going to get? A few more percent better out of it um i would buy but, yours if you upgrade how's that because okay. i want a second one and you well, have then the maybe old it will version. work out a little it's, it's easier program. it's probably easier for me to buy yours than to find another old sure. version and you know but i don't want two there. mismatched i don't want like one brand new deluxe version or whatever yeah and you know mine's been in good shape hasn't yeah. left the rack having some filters would be nice on it but michael reisenhuss again on show 237 how about a show where you demonstrate all the fun and crazy stuff you can do with delays when you automate some of the parameters, get it to oscillate, etc. Um, I don't know if we need to demonstrate that. I, I think everyone should just try that on their own. Yeah. Just um, go in you, your room and play with yourself. Don't even automate it. Just put the track into record and move the, move the knobs. Or, you know, reamp. I have a demonstration of a Soundtoys plugin where I'm moving around controls in real time and it's just one pass. Little primal tap. And that's a fun plugin, which definitely sounds best when you're moving the, the controls, which is totally inappropriate for 99% of music that you'd be working on. Yeah, and if you have a controller that has knobs you can map to the different controls, um, just put a track in there that's playing and just start turning knobs and see what happens. And you can get a lot of great stuff in there. Um, Weird stuff, but... Yeah, and some of it's usable and some of it's not. Um, And you'll see guitar players, you know, play with their delay pedal on the floor and and do feedback stuff. And, you know, everyone brings the lights down low and let's watch this guy play with himself for a half hour. Um, (laughs) I've seen that guy 
do that whole routine a bunch of times. But it's it's more interesting to the person doing it and uh, almost impossible to listen to for anyone outside. So <laughs> be very clever about that when you uh, if you're going to put that into your mixes. Yeah. Crash Cadet comments and show 241. Hey, guys, here's a random question for advice. How would you dirty up an acoustic guitar? I'm talking about Soundgarden, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club type sounds. Are those sounds pedals or tape saturation or what? Thanks. Um, one of the coolest things, if you listen to a lot of the Rolling Stone stuff and kind of their um, like late 60s, uh, Keith Richards was taking all of his acoustic guitar sounds and running them through a cheap uh, tape deck, like a microphone stuffed in there, and and getting electric guitar sounds and really crunchy acoustic guitar sounds uh, by miking the speaker on this crap tape recorder. So that kind of stuff is always awesome. Um, or just I've definitely plug- heard that that story on this show twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, not everyone listens to every show, John. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I don't think I've ever purposely distorted an acoustic guitar. I definitely it's, have. It's, it's like a piano where it, sometimes distortion sounds really, really, really bad on it. If you distort a piano, it sounds almost unlistenable. Yeah. You got to do it a certain way where it's obvious and not a accident well think about the band cake it's always an acoustic guitar through like a fender champ and it has that really gritty sound and it totally works for that band Um, there's a lot of cool things you can do you can record an acoustic guitar beautifully with a condenser mic and then damage it any way you want or reamp it or reamp it and take that reamp signal and kind of tuck it up underneath the original acoustic sound there's a lot of things you can do Uh, run things in parallel uh run any kind of effects you can think of and and just dial it in to get what you want. But I think a lot of people will think I have to put the distortion on it and just ride that. You can make a parallel track, distort that track, compress that track, and then just tuck it behind your acoustic track and give it some meat. Now, what about using the pickup in an acoustic guitar? Would that be better than a mic for going into distortion? Yeah, I, I've run acoustic guitars directly into amps and record that. Or put the amp in a different room, record the amp, record the acoustic guitars you normally would, mix and match. Frederick Kahlberg, there's umlauts there. He commented on show 241. Oh, sweet hard lard lord. <laughs> I'm done listening through the whole archives. It took me three months. And what a ride. You guys make my soul-sucking job a tad more humane. And gave me a reason to never take my isolated headphones off to interact with the inbred things <laughs> th- that is my colleagues. John even got me convinced that he was a boat. Well, a donation is coming your way. A massive 100 Svenka kroner. You spoil yourself with some porn. <laughs> <laughs> Love from me to y'all. And if John says, I'm a boat, one more time, I'll be convinced you are a boat. <laughs> I don't hear it. I don't think I say that. I'll try not to ever write that word in my scripts anymore. <laughs> A boot. Helm of the Anti Lemon wrote in show 241 I love this podcast and I'm glad I found it. Thank you guys for the hard work. 
I have a blog where I compare the original versions of metal albums versus the remastered ones at equal volume. It is absolutely imperative that both be played at equal volume because, as we know, as humans, we tend to favor slightly louder versions of the same music. I've tried to do this by ear, but it becomes very difficult because the remasters have lots of low-end and the originals have more high-end. I've used the TT Dynamic Range Meter, Free G, and even the DFX RMS buddy to accomplish this. But RMS can only be monitored in real time. I need some kind of RMS monitoring where I can listen to a 10-second clip, stop it, and get the average RMS decibel reading for that 10-second clip I played. With the above three plugins, you can see the DB rating moving up and down with the music, but it doesn't give me the average for the section. If there is a way to do this, I would be able to compare both the original and the remaster at the exact same RMS DB rating. I apologize in advance if I screwed up some of the technical terms. Any suggestions would be appreciated, Jim. Um, I have no idea. So, John? Okay. <laughs> well, Ian Shepard made a plugin with the company Meter Plugs. It's called Perception. It's not inexpensive, but it does exactly what you're looking to do. So, if you want to compare a master you're working on with um, a reference track or the unmastered version of the same song you're working on, um, you can use this and it will automatically level match. It's called Perception and you can get it from meterplugs.com. The other thing is look into uh, loudness meters, not just RMS or VU meters. There's one from toneboosters.com that shows a history and there's a colored graph that shows you the peaks and different ways of metering the sound that's coming in. So uh, you can play your 10 second clip, get the average based on those 10 seconds, and then play the other clip. And you can see on the graph if, if the volume goes up or down. I agree it's very important, uh, but you just need the right tools to do this. Unfortunately, you have to get more tools. <laughs> Always more tools. Yeah, it's not the engineer, blah, 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 blah whatever. You All need right, the right so tools. John read the last comment jason wrote to us on show 241 hey guys i heard a, sh a few shows seems like maybe you can help with some issues i'm having i've owned a studio for a bit over 15 years now recording solely to tape never used a computer in the making of an album never had to and the people that record with me don't want that either i suppose i've used reaper to mix things for video games and commercials and such but never recorded using it so there are two things that I'm not so sure about. I have an upcoming project that will require me to do some overdubs on a recording that was sent to me digitally. The files are 9624 kilohertz WAV files, and when I import them into Reaper, the upper right corner of the program says 48 kilohertz 24-bit WAV. Does this mean Reaper is resampling the files down to 4824? How do I make Reaper not do that? Would that be because of my computer sound card? So let's just answer that now. Um, so if you go into your project settings, which is option return on your keyboard, option enter on your keyboard, that'll bring up the project settings, and there you can set the project to 44 kilohertz, 96 kilohertz, whatever you need. And there's also resample options there. You can change the quality of the real-time resampling. I keep mine on the better setting for or what's called better for playback, and then I have it on extreme for rendering. Reaper does real-time resampling very well. Multiple formats even, MP3, FLAC, WAV, MOV files, all resampling at the same time. 
and there's no no audible quality loss to my ear. It's best to use the native format of your files if your sound card can handle that. The other option would be to downsample in a separate program to get the files down to 48 kilohertz if that's all your sound card can do. Let's move on to the next part. Let's. <laughs> I know it's super boring to you, Ryan, because you don't. I just don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I've used Reaper a couple times, and the things I've done with it, it's great, and it has so many more features than Pro Tools, especially for post-production. Uh, I, I really just need to learn to use it better because I know yeah. it's super useful. And for everyone else, uh, let's say for Pro Tools, if you imported those 96 kilohertz files into a 48 kilohertz session, it would either play those files at half speed or it would convert those to 48 kilohertz. Yep. One or the other, neither of those are really what you want. You want them to stay at 96 kilohertz uh, and just play out normally. Reaper can do that. Pro Tools does not do that. So the second part of his question. Uh, second, and maybe related, I need an interface to get audio into Reaper. I've looked around and can't seem to find an interface without preamps. I already have loads of great pre's that I would like to use. Does such a thing exist? I'm just doing overdubs, guitar overdubs, two channels would suffice. The guitar parts that I'll be adding are mostly background and incidental. This kind of situation doesn't come up too often, so it's not necessary to buy the most high quality gear. The Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 looks about right price-wise, but it has a bunch of features that I don't need. I haven't heard the Focusrite pre's, but I'm willing to bet that my API sound better for electric guitar. Let's just stop right there real quick. Yeah. Uh, there are a ton of great uh, analog to digital converters, but not anywhere near that price range. No, the, um, the Scarlett 2i2, it sounds good for what it is. It's like $200, two preamps, two outputs, headphone amp, But let's USB just be real, in. it's entry level. It is. Um, but um, that's what I use for mobile recording. Isn't there an RME that has uh, just two channels of conversion, uh, probably in the five or $600 range? Yeah, there is. So uh, that might be a good face. option. Yeah, if you want to get that just for A to D. It's still a lot more money. But yeah. this, the Scarlet has line inputs. You just take your line out of your API preamp, plug into the front jacks with a TRS cable, and then flip the switch to line level. And uh, just don't turn up the preamps on the Scarlet. And that will not add any gain to it, and it will sound fine. Yep. That interface does go up to 96K. Well, there so, you have it. Yeah, so that will make your project work fine. So one more thing, whenever I've done digital mixes in the past, I was able to get away with just using headphones, but not this time. So do I send the line outputs of my interface to my speaker amp? Does it become the audio output of my computer? Yes. I know you're probably, <laughs> yes. I know you're probably in disbelief that someone can know so little about digital recording, but it's just not part of my life. And my clients and I are normally quite happy with tape machines. Thanks for whatever help you can give. Yeah, so the last question is, the interface becomes the, the main output of your computer. All your audio goes in through there. All the audio comes out of there. It has a headphone jack. If you're using a power amp and passive speakers, you just take a line out of the interface into your power amp. Use the master volume on the interface as your preamp volume. And I like that he's held his ground and just stuck with tape. Good for you. Don't tell anyone to tell you what to do. I, I, if, if it works Yeah, as long for as you, it's not cassette tape. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you're, if you're refurbishing <laughs> that Tascam 4-track cassette for the 17th time, uh, I, I would say move on. But what if was you're that format that nice uses tape, VHS tape? Oh, um, that would be the ADAT. Um, and that was that was digital. That was really digital. Oh, it's so warm. I had one of those. Recording to tape. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what you do, but there's been people that have been confused. They've been recording for to digital for 20 years. Yeah, it has all the benefits of digital, except for none of them. <laughs> yeah. You still have to rewind tape. You still have to set markers on the counter. Uh, that was awful. Don't miss those days. And that's our show. Cool. Bye. Thank you to everyone who comments and participates in the show. Thank you so much to everyone who has donated. Thanks to John for all the long hours editing our show. There's plenty more where that came from. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. The guys will be back next week. Please go to homerecordingshow.com and leave your comments.